Verse 15, And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. And I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. The title of this morning's message is called Lost in the Woods. Um, and the purpose of it is to point out just how faith allowed God or allowed David to overcome an incredibly difficult relationship and still carry out God's purpose before the end of his life. So as we just saw in this opening passage, David was on the run. He was in the wilderness. And if you read through the story, it says Saul had thousands of men hunting after him. So you can imagine he was probably exhausted trying to escape what would be certain death at the, at the hands of King Saul. Now, like most, I love stories that I can relate to, and I can't really relate um, to being chased through the woods by people anyways. <laughs> um, but I absolutely have a great appreciation for what it's like to be exhausted in the woods. And as a few of you know, I love the outdoors. I love everything about it. I love the mountains especially. I love the hunting. I love big game. I love the views. But if you want to know the truth of the matter, there's two things I love more than anything about being out in the mountains or being out in the wilderness. And the first is the first morning getting out of the truck, going out on a big backpacking trip or maybe a big hunt or something, is stepping out of the truck and maybe getting your stuff together and getting ready to head off into the woods. You're just full of energy and you're full of, your legs are fresh and you're full of excitement. And if any of you guys are bird hunters and you getting ready to get in the field with a dog. That dog is going nuts in the cage, getting ready to get out. <laughs> That's what I feel like when I'm getting ready to set off into the woods. The anticipation is just awesome. <laughs> but if you want to know what I love even more than that, it's getting back to the truck <laughs> at the end of the weekend. You know, you spend hours and hours or maybe days of just working for every step. You're hiking, you're climbing. you got to work for every step. you got to work for every drink of water sometimes, you got to work to sleep, you got to work to get warm. So when you start getting close to the truck, the first sign of it is a rush. It's a sign of relief. It's a sign that uh, you're almost home. It's security. <laughs> so when I put myself in David's shoes, you look at what he was going through. He was exhausted. He was working for every step and probably having to work for everything he was doing and just flat out tired, but David didn't have a truck to look forward to. He was constantly on the run. And you could say that maybe there was no light at the end of the tunnel for David when he was trying to escape King Saul. And when you read through that story and you see the fact that he did have thousands of men chasing after him, I can't imagine that he didn't get forced off of the main trail, get forced off of the familiar trail at least a time or two, probably on multiple occasions. And that brings me to the first point of this morning's message. You don't have to be an experienced outdoorsman to understand that getting off, it doesn't take very much time and you don't have to get very far off of that familiar main trail to get yourself turned around and lost in the woods. I can tell you this from experience. And when it came down 
to preparing this message, I sat down and I thought about some of my, my own experiences a long time ago of getting lost and having really, frankly, no clue where I was for a while. And I thought of um, some of the essential skill sets or abilities that have a direct impact on the amount of time in which it takes you to find your way home, or at least back to your truck, or at least get yourself back on that familiar trail. And came up with seven of them. Here's the first. The time in which it takes you to realize that you are not heading in the right direction is critical. The second, once you realize you're not heading the, in the right direction, you can sit right in here if you want, um, is having the ability to admit that you are lost. So you might be on the trail for a while and realizing you're not heading in the right direction, but it's a whole other thing to finally just sit down and just admit that you don't have a clue where you are and that you're lost. <laughs> and the third one, which I was kindly reminded of, of uh, by my wife, was the ability to stop and ask for help or for directions. If you're fortunate enough to run across somebody in your perils. So the fourth is having the ability, once you realize your loss, is to stop and make observations, to stop and assess your surroundings. And once you've stopped and assessed your surroundings, is having the capability to both understand the dangers and the threats that are within those immediate, within the immediate vicinity of you. So understanding what's out there that could hurt you and what's out there that could help you. Then the sixth is once you've gotten a feel for where you are and what's out there and what could hurt you and what could help you, is having the ability to make priorities, to get your priorities right. Is the sun going down? Do I need warmth? Do I need to get food or water or whatever? But to have your priorities in line and then to be able to mentally set your new direction. That's number six. Now the first six of these skill sets could all be done without moving a single muscle. It's all in the mind. And none of these first six skills or abilities are any good to you if you can't do number seven, which is having the initiative and having the courage or having the ability to take that first step forward into that new direction. So some of the other stuff um, that came to mind were some of the emotions of when you realize that you don't know where you are in the middle of a dark forest. And you could probably guess them, but just to lift them off. I can recall some fear, pain, start feeling um, a little bit of isolation, maybe you start going through some discouragement, definitely anxiety, depending on how long you're lost, maybe a little sadness, a little self-pity, and even maybe experience a little bit of confusion, or a lot of confusion, depending on the circumstances. And what I can say that I've come to realize, um, definitely the hard way, is that it really doesn't matter how much natural ability or how much training or how much preparation we have in those circumstances. Faith has got to be present in our hearts in order to tap into those skills and into that training and into that preparation. Because without faith, these negative emotions will drop a dark curtain about a foot in front of your face and force you to lose all perspective. Simply put... A lack of faith can and it will prolong our time spent lost on getting various individuals out of the woods or out of the mountains or out of the caves or out of the sea. I think the story of David probably had more impact on me personally than um, any of the others that I'm familiar with.
And to give you a little bit of background about David, um, the Bible says that he was an incredibly talented, courageous, and a faithful man, and that he found great favor in the sight of the Lord. Scripture says that he had a heart for God, and he was a man who fulfilled God's purpose. You read in Acts, and it says that, and when he had removed him, talking about when they had removed Saul from being king, David was Saul's replacement, we're going to see here. He raised them, David, to be their king, to whom also he have testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. But what i got to say that I appreciate so much about David was the fact that his path to fulfilling God's purpose, it wasn't fast, it was far from perfect, and he absolutely, by no means, got there by himself. So the main focus of the message this morning is really rooted in that relationship between King Saul and David. And the reason I chose the story this morning is because I frankly think it's just one heck of a good lesson for anybody to take with them if they're in the midst of a tough relationship with anybody. David set the example for getting past self-pity. And he set the example for getting past fear in the face of a terribly dysfunctional relationship with King Saul. The second thing is that he also set an example for how to handle somebody who had deeply wronged him not once but on many, many occasions. David had the love of Christ for Saul no matter what, as you're going to see. And the last thing is that David never tried to avoid responsibility. You read through these stories of him, and you see he was far from perfect, and he made a lot of mistakes, and he wasn't always obedient to God's word. But the thing about David is that he was quick to repent. And he was quick to make things right with whoever it was that he offended. To sum it up, I believe that David's strong faith in God is what helped him defeat self-pity and bitterness and sin even when he was on the run and terribly exhausted and under constant, under or in the midst of constant attack. So to get into the body of this, uh, turn your Bibles into 1 Samuel chapter 16. put this into context, God had made a decision, as we said just a minute ago, to replace King Saul. Saul was full of pride. He had acted out against God's word. Um, I'm not going to get into the story, but God had more or less had enough of Saul's disobedience. So through Samuel, that's who God worked through at the time, was uh, Samuel. He said, you know what, I've had enough of Saul. I said, it's time to go get a replacement, and I want you to do it. Samuel kicks back a little bit and he says, well, what if Saul finds out and he kills me? God says basically, hey, don't you worry about Saul. I'll take care of him. You go get your horn, you go get your oil, and you go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to go get your king. And that brings us into verse 6. And it came to pass that when they come, that he looked on Eliab, he being Samuel, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Samuel's saying, surely this is the king you're looking for. Verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And this is major. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And to make a long story short, so Samuel finds David, he anoints him to be king, and he takes him back to Saul. 
Now, the first time I read this, I was confused by that because Saul wasn't immediately removed as king. I thought, well, how is it that he anoints David to be king and then Saul continues reigning? I consulted with this with with Sean, as I often do, and I'm confused. Um, And he made a great point, and it's really simple. God doesn't always work the way that we would work or the way that we think he should work. And I don't know exactly why it is that God didn't immediately remove Saul because he knew he had a problem and replaced him with King David who had a, clearly had a heart for him. But when you look at all the tests that David was put through because Saul stayed in place, there's no question that at the end of the day, he was a better king, he was a better leader, he was a better father, and he was a better mentor having had to go through all of that. To put this in perspective, look at who wrote the book of Proverbs. It was Solomon, David's son. For those who may not know this, I think Proverbs is one of the most powerful books in the Bible when it comes to just everyday practical wisdom and just for giving us good, sound, guiding principles on how to go about our daily lives. And they're all written by David's son. I think it's hard to put a value on the tests we go through sometimes when we're in the moment. But when you look at the results of the tests that David went through, and you look at what he gave us through his word, I think it's undeniable that it was worth all the pain he went through. But to get back into this story, um, the relationship between King Saul and David actually started out really good in the beginning, like so many relationships do. They started off uh, great. In chapter 16, uh, Saul says, or the, the scripture says that Saul was troubled by an evil spirit and he asks for someone to, a cunning player to come and play a harp for him and make him feel better. So, one of his servants, they bring up David, they describe him to Saul as a mighty, valiant man, as a man of war, prudent in matters, comely person, and that the Lord is with him, and beyond all that, he was a musician, he could play a harp. So in verse 21, Chapter 16, David stood before Saul and he loved him greatly. He became his arm bearer. That's an important one to highlight is that David stood before his master and he had the love of Christ for him. Long before Christ was even born, he had the love of God in his heart for Saul. And he barely knew him. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, so he sends to Jesse, that's David's father, saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took a heart, he played it, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So it's obvious in this first passage that it just comes out black and white, David loved Saul. And Saul was greatly comforted in the presence of David. So what could possibly go wrong? And it wasn't too long after this that David becomes Saul's arm bearer. And emotions for David to start coming. And it says that uh, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, so he made him captain of his army. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. So David's popularity was getting really big, right? David's mission was simple at the time. Obey Saul's commands, take care of his army. And that was it. 
And the news of his victories didn't take long to spread all throughout his people. And um, before you know it, people are singing and dancing in the streets. When they come rolling into town, everybody's going crazy for them. Quite honestly, this is when things started going downhill for the two of them. In verse 7, chapter 18, The women answered one another as they played, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So, not only have they noticed that David is more victorious in battle, but they're starting to point it out. And this is, you're going to see, is going to really start eating away at King Saul in 18.8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? In verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. I think now is a good time to underline this verse in Proverbs, and it's chapter 16, verse 18. And this is where David's son tells us that pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Saul's pride was getting the best of him because he saw the glory that David was getting, and this bothered him. So he starts giving him the eye, and he's starting to pay close attention to what's going on here. He's not going to let it get out of control. But David wasn't out there trying to impress anybody. He wasn't out there trying to make Saul look bad. He was just giving every ounce of his heart to God, and the results were incredible. And people saw it, and they flocked to him, and they loved him for it. People saw his courage, and they were uplifted. I've got to say, one of the things that I love most about reading about David was his ability to uplift everybody around him, even when they were down and out. You don't have to turn here, I'll read this, but 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, David's in the midst of getting chased through the wilderness, and he holds up in a cave. He's down on his luck at this point, and he's joined by his brethren, and the Bible describes these men, quote, they're in distress, and everyone was in debt, and everyone was discontented. So what did they do? They gathered themselves unto him, and, and became, he became captain over them, and with them were about 400 men. David himself was down and out, but through his faith in God, was able not just to work, work up enough strength to take care of his own problems. He could have just rolled over and told everybody to go away. But he had enough faith and enough courage and enough strength through God to take care of himself and to take care of all these other guys who were down and out and desperately needed a strong leader and a strong mentor and somebody that could provide them comfort. The other hand, Saul's heart was not pointed at God. And the only thing that he could see was the fact that David was getting all the glory. God doesn't hate pride because he doesn't want us to feel good about ourselves. God hates pride because... Our arrogance is robbing him of the glory that we should be giving him. We're glorifying ourselves instead of glorifying God. And the other thing is that he knows how destructive it is even to the ones that we love the most. And this is plainly evident in the next four or five chapters as Saul gets completely wrapped up in envy and he begins trying to kill David. He puts 100% of his focus towards killing young David. 1 Samuel 19, he throws a javelin at him. David dodges it, he gets away, takes off into the night. And then chapters 19 all the way through 23 are all stories of David not just playing somebody that he had that was his enemy. It's not like one of the Philistines he was running from. 
David was running out of dead fear, out of somebody who he had the love of Christ for. And I can only imagine that takes in the toll on somebody's heart. Somebody you love desperately that you don't want anything bad to happen to is trying to do horrible things to you. I would say that this finally um, just wore down on him and he finally had enough because in chapter 24, David gets a chance to teach Saul a lesson and he takes it. And turn there, it's chapter 24 and verse 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and that thou mayest do as to him, as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. So he had a chance to humiliate Saul and teach him a lesson, and he jumped on it. He cuts his robe off. How do you think he felt about it? Read verse 5. We think about these moments, you know, and... You're just like, man, I can't wait to get my chance. I've got this list of things they've done to me piling up, and I'm just going to deliver it at the right moment. And that's exactly what happened with David. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's, Saul's skirt. These moments, ultimately, are not all they're cracked up to be. David felt terrible about it. Verse 7, So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and he went on his way. So he doesn't kill him when he has the chance. He shows Saul mercy. And he gets away. And then in verse 10, David goes on to say, Behold this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee. Stay with me here. This gets a little hard to read. <laughs> Behold this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee into mine hand in the cave, but some bade me to kill thee, some told me to kill you, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. The point to be made here is that even though Saul had done him all this wrong, David's heart still belonged to God, and he understood that um, this position of authority was actually established by God. And David wasn't about to go and disrespect the authority even though in our right, in the, the way we would see it, he was completely justified. Through all that turmoil and all that fear and all that pain, he still respected the authority that God had put in place. And I would say it, you know, after all this time of Saul pouring his energy into chasing David through the woods, it may have, that first thing we talked about, that, um, that first skill set, that first ability to realize you're not heading in the right direction might have been in the back of his mind. But it took him a long time to get to step two, but he finally does it here in 16. And it came to pass when David, thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. The whole time I spent preparing for this message, I was thinking about relating it to how David was running and lost in the woods and scared. But when I got to this point right here, what I came to realize is that Saul is the one that was lost. And this is where he finally was able to humble himself and admit it. And because of that, the two of them were able to go home with their lives that very day. Now, it's this point in the story where you wish you could say that things ended well. And as many can relate to in here, Saul continued to uh, let the pride get the best of him. 
And he continues going back on the hunt for David. He continues chasing him and putting him through all this pain. And unfortunately, things end sadly um, in chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. And Saul ends up taking his own life. There's a big fight against the Philistines. Saul finds out that his sons were killed. He takes a sword and he falls on them. Now you would think that David or that anybody would experience just total relief of having that major threat, having that major problem in your life done away with, being gone. That wasn't the case at all. Because David loved Saul. And I think the love of Christ, especially for an enemy, is something that's impossible to understand without faith. Proverbs tells us that 13.22 tells us that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. I believe that had David simply taken revenge on Saul when he had the chance, had he let pride get in the way of his repentance, had he um, done any of that stuff, that he would have robbed his children and the kingdom of Israel of the inheritance. But the fact of the matter is, is that David passed those tests and he left a wonderful inheritance to Solomon and to the kingdom of Israel. First Chronicles 19, David, through prayer, he asks God to give Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, and thy statutes, and to do all these things, and to build, and to build the palace for which I have made provision. I think what David was praying, what he was asking God to do, was to take all the pain and all the victories, and all the sorrow, and all the lessons, and all that wisdom that he had learned the hard way in his life, and turn it into wisdom, and give it to his son Saul, or give it to his son Solomon. And when you read through Scripture, it tells you that Solomon ended up being the wisest man in the world. With that being said, David did end up building the foundation for a kingdom of Israel that would finally be able to thrive for years after he died. What an inheritance that he left for Israel. And to conclude the message this morning, I think it's easy for us to get short-sighted when we get into a tough spot with a friend or with a family member. I think, kind of like when you're lost in the woods, you lose that perspective and you end up in situations where all those same emotions of anxiety and fear and self-pity and all that stuff runs through your mind. But there's good news. Because whether we realize it or not, God has given us the skills. God has given us the abilities and the wisdom to take care of anything that we run into. And the only thing that we need to remember is the fact that God is real. He is in control. And that God through Jesus Christ absolutely thrives on helping the lost find their way home. So with all that being said, we're going to bow our heads in prayer, and then Dan's going to close us out with some more music. Dear God, we come to you again this morning just in thanks, Lord, for this fellowship. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the wisdom that you gave David and Solomon through the scriptures, Lord. We pray that uh, you stay with us in all of our relationships and in all of our dealings this week, Lord, and that we take some of these lessons and that we use them for our benefit, but more importantly, Lord, to lift you up. Lord, we thank you for 
another wonderful Thanksgiving. We thank you for the time spent with our families, Lord. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.